Welcome to ACC Nation. That's Will. I'm Jim, and our special guest is the publisher of Wahoo's 24-7, Jackie Franchuli. Thanks for joining us, Jackie. Oh, glad to be here. Hey, the conference has been full of surprises this year. And in football, Virginia named the offensive coordinator at Clemson their new head coach, and the Cavaliers, well, they have a new look. And we'll get into a little more detail on that in just a moment. But uh, for the first time in quite a while, uh, basketball is uh, kind of flat at Virginia. So let's start with basketball and then work our way toward uh, football. So let's let's start out with um, your impressions of the season so far. It's um, it's not been what we expected. I don't want to say it's not been what we've expected. I think a lot of people thought we, they were going to have some growing pains. I think a lot of people expected Virginia not to be completely UVA and Tony Bennett's team, I want to say. I don't think people expected this team to, you know, win the national title, for instance. I don't think anyone ever thought about this team. I think there was going to be a lot of, you know, they, they lost a lot. I think COVID year really affected a lot of teams, a lot of teams developmentally. I think a lot of people... You know, a lot of people talked about that on the football side of things, but not many commentators were talking about that on the basketball side of things. And honestly, if you're a Tony Bennett who runs a system that really relies on that developmental time, having COVID really did impact some of the growing that you expected for some of the younger individuals to learn the pack defense, just to learn how you run a system by Tony Bennett. So I think a lot of people expected, again, not to have the best UVA season, but at least be competitive. Now, what people didn't expect is the lack of consistency. This team can, you know, one game like Louisville go out and get 19 points ahead and look comfortable. And then comes this three, four minute scoring drought. And then the other team will just come in and come back with him too. Um, they played against Louisville last time. So, and Louisville has their own share of problems. So that's why Louisville couldn't take advantage of that. But a lot of other teams are um, able to do that. But in the ACC, there's a lot of teams that are going ups and downs like Virginia. But yeah, it's lack of consistency. I don't know if it's lack of focus, um, but it seems sometimes it, it's like they can't stay focused defensively for the entire time of the game. Again, that shows immaturity, a little bit of inexperience in the system. That kind of goes back to what I was saying about didn't have enough time developmentally for those practices. Um, and then there's sometimes where you just think that the rotation needs to be changed. There's some that you you wonder maybe the combinations need to be changed on the court. Um, it I, I think Tony Bennis likes the seven man rotation right now, but sometimes it is a little bit of a head scratcher with, with some of the which guy comes in, but then you've got Poppy who's, who's done very well the last few games, especially since that loss in Chapel Hill against North Carolina, he's really become more physical. He's really playing really well. Um, he doesn't look as gassed, honestly, in the games. He looks like he's a little bit fitter too. So I, I really like that aspect in the last few weeks. Um, it's just that which team is going to come out this weekend? Is it the one that played against NC state or is it the one that played, the first half against Louisville. I don't know. Point well taken about the COVID because that has been a, a real bugaboo for most teams. Just, and as you point out, consistency. With Tony Bennett's program, if you don't have the time to really work on getting that defense down, and it is not an easy defense to learn, mm -hmm. 
to really be focused on. Um, most kids are offensively oriented. And so coming in and learning a defense, which is the lead part of his program, is is definitely difficult. So um, I think you hit the hit on the head in, in two ways there. Um, looking at the uh, uh, at the roster, who are you surprised at? Um, you talk about inconsistency. Who are you surprised the most about on that roster who has just really not found their groove yet? I think Armand Franklin is probably the one that I would, I thought would be more a consistent shooter for them. I think when he finds a shot, he's really good. And you can see the confidence that he plays with once that first three goes in. Once that first three goes in, you have a different Armand Franklin playing for the rest of the game. Um, and I think he's the one, if he was more consistent, then I think UVA will be in the better spot. But in the same way, I think Kihei Clark is one that I wish was more aggressive offensively like he was against Louisville. I think if he was consistent enough like that, that also could change a little bit um, with UVA. I think the most consistent play they have is Reese Beekman right now. So I think if you – right now, I think all the players have a game or two that they don't play up to the level that you've seen them maybe one or two games before. But I think Armand Franklin is the one that really stands out to me because – We've seen what he's capable of doing. So I, I think if he was the one that was shooting more consistently, um, I think the UVA would be in a better spot. And honestly, if he just has confidence, um, I think he's getting better defensively. And I think if he starts to reel in a couple games with some nice, consistent, battle, which he has, there's some, there have been some good minutes from him. I think UVA will be pretty good as they head into the ACC tournament. So Jackie, you talked about Poppy Francisco Cafaro, uh, you know, you know, in, in the way he's played, and he over the last four games he has found himself in the starting lineup. What has he seen that's kind of facilitated that change in moving him to the lineup and Caden Cedric to the bench? I think it's you know Caden's just got into foul trouble um, pretty quickly. I think there was I can't remember which game it was, and maybe it was uh, one or two games ago where he had two fouls within the first three minutes of the game. Um, and I think when you have that and Poppy got called up, Poppy took advantage of those extra minutes on the floor because Caden was in foul trouble. Um, and I think Tony Bennett, and I mentioned his conditioning, but Tony Bennett made a good point of referencing that. I think uh, the game after UNC saying that, you know, he's a different Francisco Caffaro. He was, he's, he's better. He's not feeling gassed. He understands the game better, understands the system better. It takes a while to get used to the system. Um, he's getting up and grabbing the ball after the first shot that doesn't go in. He's, he's preventing some second chance points. And I think that's the difference right now with Poppy. Um, and again, you, you gain confidence. It's all about gaining that confidence and taking that step further. And I think that's where he is right now. Um, and I'm really excited to see how he can continue to develop. Um, it's, uh, you know, the one thing that this transfer portal is going to create some issues with Tony Bennett is there's not many players that can, you can see that transition developmentally year in, year out. How many players are going to be sticking around for those many years like Poppy? Um, so be, um, so that, that's the one downfall transport with Tony Bennett, but then you think of what Poppy's be able to do. And I hope Tony Bennett's be able to, to show guys coming in. It's like, look, this is what happens when you stick to a system. You're going to eventually get playing time if you work and if you take opportunities. 
because that's what he did. He took his opportunity when the person ahead of him was in foul trouble. So you talked about Reese Beekman a moment ago, and he, I think one of the things that's really impressed me lately, aside from you know his assist numbers, is he looks a lot more confident shooting the ball. Oh, Have you sure. noticed anything like in a shot, you know, with that lately? I think for me, it's just that like you, you hit the nail on the head. It's just, he has this confidence about him going up and down the court. Um, and he's what I said about Kihei wanting him to be more aggressive on his offensive shot. That's what Reese has been able to do. He's been able to be more that aggressive that you need offensively. Um, and he just has this confidence and comfortability with his teammates and just commanding the floor. That is the difference. I think for him, it's really the attitude um, that was changed from, from when I'm watching, you know, old UVA games from last year. I didn't see that from him last year, just from watching some UVA games. And even in the beginning of the season, like against Navy, I didn't see that. But now you're seeing that. You're seeing him show emotion. Because that's the one thing that this UVA team doesn't quite have a lot. You know, I came, when I first round of covering UVA, I was around a UVA team that had Justin Anderson. Uh, that had, you know, Akil Mitchell and Joe Harris. That was a team I covered first. So this team is, you know, I hate comparing teams, but the emotional side is just very different. The, the, the way they kind of handle themselves on the court. But you can see the emotions coming out of him during games. Um, and, and I think that helps the team in those situations when they're in a three, four minute scoring drought. You need someone like that to urge you forward. That's something when I remember covering that team, Justin Anderson did that on the bench if he wasn't playing or on the court. Um, he was the one doing that. And Akil Mitchell was another guy who was pretty vocal as well um, that would get people going. Obviously, Joe Harris, you know, is an incredible leader. But that's what I think is missing sometimes with this UVA team. And I think Reese is doing a good job of trying to get into that role. So you talked about uh, Franklin, Armand Franklin. I think, yeah, he, he was a good shooter in Indiana, but I feel like he, I feel like there's something missing with him. I don't know what it is. I feel like he is really under, I don't know if it's just, he's not fitting so well into the system. Do you, what is it with Franklin? I think you're, when you're dealing with a transfer, it's previously transfer used to get one whole year to kind of get used to, you know, like Gil, for instance, he got, he had a whole year sitting on the bench, learning the pack defense and he also learned a little bit more about his teammates. When you're a transfer in basketball, it's going to be a little hard to assimilate and gel with your teammates as quickly. I think University of Florida is proving that right now. You can't turn over your roster by just going and getting transfers. So it just doesn't work to, for consistent basketball. Um, so I think Armand Franklin just needs to continue the way he's doing where he's just slowly getting confidence because sometimes you're, if you're second guessing where you should be defensively, you're not going to do well offensively. Um, and I think that's sometimes what I, when you notice is that he might be second guessing something, is he in the right position? Uh, is he defending well? And then when that, forgotten, if that first shot doesn't go in, he's like, okay, I need to go and get another shot. And sometimes he, I feel bad. Sometimes he does get good looks and it just doesn't go in. Um, it's like there was one game where it looked like there was a lid on the basket for Franklin. Um, but I, I think it is getting a little bit better for him. And at each game that he finds his groove a little more, um, it's going to be better for UVA. But I think it's that, I think when you have a transfer coming in, 
you're going to have this delay growing pains. And I think a lot of basketball teams are going to realize that the transfer portal is probably not their cure-all be-all for basketball in particular, where it's really hard to create team chemistry with only five guys on the court. I think football transfer portal is going to be a huge thing and it's still going to continue on being a huge thing for football. But I think basketball teams are learning that you can't bring in so many bodies and expect immediate results. Yeah, I agree with you from the standpoint of the transfer portal for basketball because basketball just isn't really a plug and play scenario and mm-hmm. unless that player is familiar with the program or the coach. Um, and even then, it's somewhat dubious. Let's talk about next year. Um, let's look forward for, for just a moment and, and talk about all the people that are coming in uh, on the recruit, off the recruiting trail, um, what this team is going to look like uh, next season. Wow. Tony Bennett has done a great job for this class. You know, Isaac McNeely, Isaac Trout, Leon Bond. Um, you know, Ryan Dunn, that's an incredible class. Um, he's done an amazing job on the recruiting trail. I think, again, I don't want to keep blaming COVID, but COVID really derailed a lot of coaches on how they handled recruiting last year. Because honestly, a lot of players just couldn't effectively visit schools. A lot of players just couldn't do a lot of things that they wanted to during their recruitment. And coaches, too, couldn't travel and evaluate players. Um, but he did a great job with this class. And I think it's it's they a lot of these guys have good offensive capabilities um if you i don't know if and if you guys watch isaac trout on espn you would be very very impressed by isaac trout um and now I, and i think tony bennett has done a good job to pick up some guys with speed so it'll be interesting to see how tony kind of inputs those guys into the team especially if Kihei Clark does not return, or if he does return, I think that's that will determine a lot of things for UVA because they're also looking at London Johnson, um, who may or may not reclassify. So right now, it doesn't look like he's going to reclassify. He's going to stick to 2023. Um, but if he reclassifies for 2022, then you've got an issue with numbers. And if Kihei Clark stays, then I don't think you're getting London Johnson. So, um, so, but Tony has done a good job with finding guys. And I think, you know, the last class and the previous class, there wasn't as star powered as this one. And this is guys that understand the system. They're not going to be shocked that they play defense at UVA. They understand that. And they also like how Tony Bennett's methodical offensively. Um, it's all about being efficient on your offense, which this team is not as efficient as you need to be. Um, and I think that's what, if they, these guys buy in, you're not going to be worried that they're going to enter the transfer portal if they don't play right away. And I think that's the biggest thing with this group. If you talk to them, they have the correct mindset for a Tony Bennett basketball team, because that's what you need to do now. When you recruit, you not only have to look at star power and you not have to look at their basketball skills, but you also have to look on the mental side of things and saying, if I don't start on day one, will I hit the transfer portal in year two? Yeah, that is that has certainly been a challenge for a lot of other coaches, and I, I know from the standpoint of uh, UVA that uh, a little more unique school situation there because it's it's a lot more difficult academically. Right. Um, Tony is not looking for one and dones; he's mm-hmm. looking for somebody who's going to take that time 
and make an investment in themselves and the program and learn. So that that's uh, quite the challenge. And uh, where is he finding most of his success on the recruiting route? Is there one area in particular that has been uh, a gold mine for him from the standpoint of finding these defensive oriented players? Um, I, it's about evaluation. So his, his staff is really good about evaluating these players early and getting in on them pretty early. Like Ryan Dunn exploded in the AAU circle circuit over the summer and Virginia was among the first ones to offer, which played dividends for them because, you know, at, at the end of the day, Ryan chose UVA, um, because they were one of the first ones. So they're really good at evaluating these guys pretty early. I think they did the same thing with Isaac Trout, actually. I think it was a, a pretty early offer. And I think it, I think that's been the secret to Tony Bennett. And also Tony's a very charismatic guy and so is a lot of his staff. I think once you get on campus, you have the privilege and to have, Hey, we have one of the best strength and conditioning guys here. And uh, with coach Curtis and he's wooed a lot of recruits. So the first step is to evaluate them early. And I think that's what he does. And that's how he's been winning these battles against some of the big schools. And I think right now with London Johnson, that's, that's why he's, that's why UVA has done a good job with him because they've been on them for a while. And if you talk to London, he's always talking about how UVA has a family feel, how UVA, um, he feels like he's comfortable there. So I, I think that's the key for, for Tony and company is just continuing to evaluate early so that they can get that first offer in. Because once you get to know them, they, they, they kind of make you feel um, a kind of exclusive club being offered by UVA because it kind of put a lot of attention on you. I think that's been the difference maker. All right, let's talk about football now, because here we have something completely new. and um, New and shiny. Yes, <laughs> new baubles to play with. Um, this has been quite the journey uh, for UVA fans, for the administration, for the program. Let's just start out with uh, your thoughts on uh, Tony Elliott and go from there. Sure. Um, I think Carla Williams did, you know, a good job on the coaching search. I think there was a lot of noise uh, around the coaching search. Uh, um, but if you follow the coaching search on our message boards, on Wahoo's 24-7, Tony Elliott was one of the first candidates that Carla Williams kind of identified. Um, I believe if I, I think Thursday, Bronco Mendenhall stepped down and Friday, there was already contact between UVA and Tony Elliott. Um, and I believe by Saturday, um, if my sources of my timeline is right here, by the first or second day after Bronco Mendenhall, they've already had an, an interview according to several sources that we talked to. So Tony Elliott, although there was a noise of Anthony Poindexter and there were things going on in that direction, Tony Elliott was a favorite and a serious candidate for Carla Williams. She identified him really, really, really early in this. And the reason why is because he understood the standard that UVA wanted a head coach to live up to. Um, he also understood the academics requirement that UVA has that will kind of restrict you on the recruiting trail. Not, I, want, I don't want to say restrict you entirely to getting a top class because other institutions have academic restrictions and they still are able to come in with top classes. But he understands what UVA is about. 
And I think that was an excellent choice because you can see by the staff that Tony Ellick put together that he understands that you have to recruit in a certain way when you come to UVA because you just can't recruit a guy because he's a top five star or four star or what have you in, in state. You have to recruit a guy that fits the academic and personality profile to fit into a culture of UVI. And that's why I think Tony Elliott was such a good hire because he understood that. He went and got assistant coaches from these, you know, from Army, from, from Navy. Um, and those guys understand how to, how to do more with less. They understand how to recruit guys who are disciplined, um, which UVA has lacked a few times and on the field. And they recruit guys in a way where it's like they, they, they prioritize academics. Um, and so that was a, that Tony Elliott was a good hire for UVA, especially with the time constraint that they had and the surprise of Bronco Mendenhall stepping down. Um, I think the only thing that you look back on, you're thinking, man, they hired him. He was on campus on Wednesday. He flew back to South Carolina on Thursday. He was officially announced on Friday. And that was the last official weekend before early signing day. And a dead period came. So that this 2022 class got decimated. There was no online signees on early signing day because Tony Elliott didn't have a shot. Um, and even now, you know, bless coach 2J and what he's been doing on the recruiting trail, but they've, they've been having to kind of fight back to claw back numbers. Um, but for everything I hear, Tony Elliott has won high school coaches in, in the state of Virginia. He's won athletic directors over and he's won kids over. Um, don't get me wrong. I think Bronco Mendenhall and his staff, you know, they were fantastic individuals. Um, I got to know them at, I'm kind of sad that I only got to know him for a few months because um, a lot of them were great to talk to. They were very respectful and honestly just great individuals, like I said. But the one thing that Bronco didn't do as much is he wasn't involved on the recruiting trail or recruiting visits as hard as Tony Elliott is. Tony Elliott has put himself in these recruiting visits and these guys notice. These guys are telling me like, you know, Tony Elliott sat with me and my dad during lunch and just talk to us. Um, this was not a 2022 kid. This was a 2023 kid that visited for junior day. So he's already doing this for the next class. He realizes that, yes, we're scrambling for numbers for 2022, but if I don't start now in 2023, who's taking official visits starting in the spring, we're going to be behind in that class too. So, and I think that's the biggest change that I've seen right away is that hands-on approach to recruiting. Um, he gave out the first offer. Tony Elliott phoned the recruit to give the offer. And that was Andres Fox, the Stanford um, edge rusher uh, that they offered, uh, I think the first week of January. So this hands-on approach to recruiting is necessary now in this day and age. It's the reason why Zach Rice went to North Carolina. It's the reason why so many guys choose particular schools it's not because of name, image, and likeness, although it does help. I'm not saying it doesn't help, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying if a head coach is not involved in a five-star recruitment, he's not coming to your school, not even if you have name, image, and likeness. Um, Mac Brown does a great job, and I know UVA fans hate UNC, but Mac Brown does a great job of being on these guys. He is calling them. He is talking to them. He is FaceTiming. 
Um, I mean, he might even Snapchat. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if they still, I don't even know if they still do Snapchat or is everything TikTok, but they, they do all this. And I think that's what Tony Elliott brings that energy on the recruiting trail that was lacking of it. You spend a lot of time, Jackie, talking with recruits. So um, and you just gave us a little bit of a feel about, about what you're hearing and seeing overall impression, the bigger impression of all the people that you are talking to, are you seeing a, a, a significant shift here? Yeah. So I, I think what I really like what the staff did right now going on the trail and you see them um, just hitting up all the schools in the state of Virginia, you see that they're prioritizing the state. But I don't, it's not just that they're prioritizing the state, they're communicating with the high school coaches, they're able to talk to them in that level of, you know, what can, how can we improve this relationship? And a lot, and then having Tony Elliott go to these schools, especially, you know, in Virginia Beach, alongside Coach Higgins, um, and then going with Coach Slade, who's, you know, obviously UVA great, you know, Coach Sintim. And I think that's what's been good is having these guys who have a really a good reputation in the state of Virginia and having Tony Elliott there. And honestly, Tony Elliott has a great reputation in himself. He's won two national championships. Um, you know, he's got guys that won Heisman's. So for him, he's, he has his own resume to lean on. And plus, he's got such an inspirational story. So these coaches like him. He's very charismatic. And I think that's what I've heard from a lot of these guys. Like, like you want to listen to him. Um, and kids want to listen to him. They're, they're, they really are impressed by what he's saying in these visits about wanting to create a model program at UVA where all where college football programs are going to look at, um, not just football, but academics and just creating an overall environment. And that's what you need to pitch at UVA, honestly, because to battle name, image, and likeness at an SEC school, what you need to do is create a long-term, a long-term plan for these kids and their parents. You, you can, if you're UVA, the way you pitch it is you can go to say and same school and get money for two, three years with your name image and likeness. But if you don't go get to the NFL, will that degree keep you in the same life that you were living in for two, three years? Or you come to UVA, you might not have the initial burst of money, but if you don't go to the NFL, your degree will have this much salary at the end of the day. That's what you need to recruit if you're a UVA. That's how you frame name, image, and likeness to them. If, if that's, how, that's how you have to approach this. And by you going into your recruiting pitch and talking about um, just the model program, this is, you're getting the bigger package at UVA. That's how you sell your program. And Tony Elliott gets it. His staff gets it. And that's what the kids are telling me. They, they're saying like, yeah, you know, they, they said the academics are great. They're talking about the business school. I had one kid saying, yeah, they're talking about the, their, their you know, hospital because he's interested in medical program. So he's talking about, you know, UVA hospital. So that's what they're doing. They understand what UVA has. He's not trying to turn UVA into Clemson. He knows. So um, I, I think that's what's been good. But he also understand you can't, recruit every kid in the state just because he's in the top two or three kid in the state doesn't mean he's going to recruit that kid because he doesn't he has to fit the uva profile that includes going to those prep schools in other states kind of going back to you know where xavier brown's from um the prep school in kentucky maybe going to prep schools in new jersey like the hun school going into maryland 
kind of putting like a six hour radius bubble and maybe going to a little further up, but kind of getting those prep schools because those prep schools are still UVA kids. You think about it, if you want to recruit some high power guy or even some three, four stars, fill in your roster, you have to go to those prep schools too and create those pipelines there. Yes, recruit guys in state, but still maintain those prep school connections because you don't know if those kids are going to be in the transfer portal in three, four years. Because right now, you're, you have to toss a recruit the long game of saying, okay, because a lot of these kids who enter the transfer portal, from, from what I see, if you're a grand transfer, you look to play closer to home because you already have your degree, you've already played someone for four years, you want to play closer to home. Or you're trying to look for a chance to go to the NFL. Like Olu going to Michigan makes sense because he wants to get a better shot at the NFL. Ryan Svoboda going to UCF, he wanted to play closer to home. Again, makes sense. But then guys who are going to the transfer portal that are you know maybe looking for a better fit, if there's a coaching change, the first people they they talk to, if you know transfer portal, they get tons of people calling them. The first people they answer are coaches that reached out to them during their recruitment um, or have a good relation with them because these guys are getting inundated with phone calls. Mm -hmm. So who are they going to talk to first? The coach that's only now showing confidence in their playing style after two, three years of another school or the coach that showed confidence in them when they were a freshman, sophomore year in high school and were offering them and talking to them. So recruiting is changing every day. And I think Tony Elliott is learning, but I also I'm curious to see how he does moving forward, because, again, you can't judge entirely his recruiting strategy in three weeks, because that's all we've done. We've only done three weeks of full speed because he's got to have all these kids in National Signing Day. I'm curious to see how he handles long term, how he handles every step of the way of planning out his numbers for 2023, making sure the roster is balanced for 2023 and 2024 and how he recruits the long-term and how he, frankly, how he uses the transfer portal. Don't forget, Coach Davo Sweeney did not use the transfer portal until this year. This is the first time he's using it. So Coach Elliott doesn't, doesn't use, has not ever used a transfer portal. So it'll be very curious to see how he maneuvers all that, um, especially Coach Sweeney has had a lot of number of controversial comments i would say about name image and likeness about transfer portal so i'm curious to see what coach elliott does and it right now it seems he's very open to everything and from everything we've seen so that's going to be my next question is all right now you don't have a gun pointed to your head you didn't need to sign all these you don't need to sign these linemen in three weeks you don't need to sign these guys in three weeks what are you going to do next and that's what i wouldn't want to have those answers interesting so one of the things that stood out to me during the introductory press conference with Tony Elliott, and, and it's something that I have not seen a lot, especially with Bronco and even going back to Mike London is what it really stuck out to me that he really wants input from alums, uh, uh, from just in how to run the school, uh, and I, and I even see it, it, the engagement on social media uh, from alums who are retweeting stuff and uh, and stuff like that. What are you what are you getting from the alums who who they seem like they really are in, uh, big fans of him? Yeah, I, I think um, they I think you owe a little bit to Coach Slade. Um, I think he kind of riled the troops a little bit and rallied the troops a little bit and said yeah. Coach Elliott um, is a good dude. 
Um, he's going to be a good head coach. I know some of you wanted another candidate to be your head coach, mm -hmm. but coach Elliot is very capable. He knows what he's doing. Let's give him our full support because to be fair, Bronco Mendenhall did not get the support he needed. A lot of things didn't go his way or that staff's way because they needed more support, especially with the way college football is changing. Um, one thing that if you follow me a little bit, I'm a huge supporter of what Gator Collective at University of Florida has done with name, image, and likeness. And that was a power of the alumni base there. Um, they're football alumni. They've come together and figured out a way to help these student athletes and name, image, and likeness. Um, and I think that's what's lacking at UVA. And I, I really hope Tony Elliott can use this momentum now early to kind of get these football alumni to work together to figure out this name, image, and likeness for UVA. But honestly, just to get some energy back into the program. I think Elliot has done a good job with that. And I think a lot of just seeing the momentum on social media, but seeing most likely the next generation and how they're looking at UVA a little bit differently because they're right now, Tony Elliott is the former Clemson offensive coordinator that has won national championships. This is what kids are telling me. He's like, oh, I know coach Elliott. He used to coach at Clemson and won championships. He coached Trevor Lawrence. He coached Etienne. That's what they see right now, Elliot. Use that to get facilities built. Get that to figure out name and like this. And you and the alumni base just needs to stop talking and doing something. Um, I think that is the biggest thing with UVA. And I, I think right now they're doing a good job of getting them together. And I, I really hope the spring game is what really kind of puts things together. Um, when I covered University of Florida, Dan Mullen tried to do that in his first year. I remember during the spring game, there were so many football alumni at the game. Um, they were even part of the spring game. He had Felipe Franks throw touchdown passes to former Gator greats during the spring game. Um, so they was really trying to bring the alumni. We all, we all know what happened at the end at University of Florida. But in the beginning, there was a really big supportive alumni base in that as well. So you have to make sure you maintain that relationship and try to get that, that momentum forward and help out in different ways with the UVA program. So on the field, this obviously the offense, a lot of the, the key guy, key contributors are back. Obviously, Brendan Armstrong's back, going to be you know loaded at receiver. Uh, the running backs are going to be back, but what what this team was so good at is not exactly what Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings is going to want to run. So how is this uh, offense going to kind of marry the two, what they were so good at last year, but what they want to run? Honestly, that will be answered when we see that offensive line during the yeah. spring game. And, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so I think right now everything is going to rely on that offensive line because you're, if the offensive line – is not going to be able to protect Brennan Armstrong for long periods of time, or they weren't going to be able to run the ball as effectively because they can't, you know, run protect, then you're going to have to play call a little bit differently. Um, I remember during Dan Mellon's first year at Florida, their offensive line numbers, Jim McElwain did a horrendous job of balancing the roster, which is what I was talking about with Tony Elliott. They didn't recruit, they, they missed out on a couple of O-line recruits the year I went, so 2015, and that affected them two years down the line just when Dan Mullen came on board. And they didn't have the numbers 
on the O-line. So what he did, I uh, remember at the game against Mississippi State where they had one of the best defenses in the country, I think it was 2015 or 16, they had one of the best defensive lines in college football. UV, uh, Florida won that game. And the only reason why they won was because they did short passes to the sides, avoiding the defensive line completely. Um, and they did it quick. And I think that's where I, I'm curious to see the creativity that Tony Elliott and Kitchings are going to use if that O-line is struggling. It's going to be very young. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how, you know, they obviously got a, tra- a transfer with Matt Hollensteiner, how he factors in. They're also in other content with transfers. There's one that's only going to visit in March and they may go in with another transfer target. They might visit this weekend. We don't know. It's still up in the air. Um, so I think that's the big thing is how this O-line is going to look. I'm just upset that Devin Darrington's not going to be able to come back. He was my favorite running back on this team. Uh, he was the most efficient runner. I love seeing him play and we didn't get to see him a whole lot. Um, that was, that was a shame for me. Um, he did appeal he actually went to the NCAA asking for another year. Um, but the NCAA denied it for him because said he didn't play that COVID year because Harvard canceled its own season. So they said he wasn't eligible for the COVID year. He appealed it and got denied. He appealed it again and got denied. So um, it's a shame. He really did want to come back. So this is not a case of a player that didn't want to come back. He really did. He saw the he understood the potential that this offense would have. Um, so I think with Brendan Armstrong, you're you're lucky enough to have a veteran guy that is not just about the stats that he produces. It's the intangibles of a Brendan Armstrong. It's the leadership quality that you saw in that comeback when in Louisville. It's in that leadership quality that you saw in the game in Miami. It's when they were down at BYU. When he didn't play, you didn't feel like UVA could come back. When Brendan Armstrong played, you feel anything is possible. So, and I think having him back is huge for them. Um, and I think we have Keaton Thompson, a guy that I'm curious to see how they use him. That is probably the guy that I'm now curious to see how Kitchings and Elliott uses him. I think he's probably going to play more as, you know, a running back. Honestly, I think the guy is really, really hard to put down, but he's getting better at running his routes. I think he's improved as the season went on last year and he'll admit it to you. He didn't, he didn't know how to play wide receiver. That's something that coach Higgins and him really worked hard in the off season. So I can't answer your question on what the offense will look like because the O-line will determine what the offense will look like. And I think, honestly, we won't see what this offense is going to look like under Kitchings and Elliott until probably year two, I want to say. I think that's when we're going to see more of what their offense will look like. And I would even bet maybe even year three. So it's going to take a long time to kind of get the pieces that he needs to look like what they want. But I think offensively, if they can get that O-line to be serviceable, not being elite offensive line, if they can be serviceable, if they can get Brendan Armstrong just some time, I think they're going to – this is not uh, a freshman quarterback under center. This is a guy who's a veteran who can see the field pretty quickly and can use his legs if he's in trouble. So I think if the O-line is serviceable, and I, I think UVA can do a good job offensively. All right, last question from me. Um, given the amount of snow you've had in the Charlottesville area, <laughs> have you regretted your decision to move back from Florida? Um, I think my son is regretting. He asked me if it was, <laughs> so uh, it's three days ago. 
Well, one, he's asked me if he can ever wear shorts again, <laughs> but he asked me if, um, if tomorrow is going to be Florida. And I was really confused. I was, <laughs> I was really confused. I was like, what do you mean if tomorrow's going to be Florida? He said, well, Virginia is snow. So Florida is sunshine. I was like, oh, you think Florida is a season? <laughs> <laughs> So um, he's, a, he's taking a while to adjust. Um, my daughter hates snow. She's one. Um, to be fair, her first snow experience, it was, we had about 12, 13 inches and we didn't have power for five days. Oh. And we actually had to shovel an area where they were building a snowman because it was probably, my son is about three foot, four inches and it was covering him up all, to, all the way to his waist. And so we had to cover, we had to shovel and put her down, but she, she was not impressed by the snow. She just kept looking at me and be like, can I go inside? <laughs> Smart kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, couple of quickies here. Uh, first, uh, something to throw out at you because I was surprised by this number. I, I saw this um, a couple of days ago that the average NIL number is $51. Yeah. Uh, which blew me away based upon some of the things I've heard. Now, this is all leading to uh, my question in regard to uh, alumni stepping up um, and the, the uh, facilities. You know, tell me about what's going on there. Um, if they're making forward progress and what you know that maybe you can share with people that uh, who are just sort of casual uh, uh, about their knowledge of UVA in general, the, the sports facilities, what's coming? Sure. So actually uh, the Thursday, so back to the coaching search, Elliot was in Charlottesville on a Wednesday. That's when I was on at the airport and you saw my infamous video of over the fence. So <laughs> yep. That was Wednesday. And then Thursday he left um, Friday, there was a meeting with UVA and the boards of visitors, and they had approved the, basically the facilities, um, they can use the funds. So now basically they have, I believe it's March, they have another meeting and basically they can do the groundbreaking and start doing the facilities. Um, they still need to fundraise. I think that's still the, the big things. They still need money for a lot of the thing because that's football. They need to do stuff for the Olympic sports as well. Um, because I believe it's also affecting their recruiting as well. I've heard a few people tell me that it's affecting lacrosse recruiting as well. They, they basically all the teams need all the alumni kind of on board to get this going. It's moving in the right direction. So the reason why I bring the alumni base in is because you can really fire up the masses. You can really fire up, honestly, alumni can get people to open up their wallets um, and just energize and get people and be like, this is what will help the whole school. Show them this the facilities aren't just a shiny new thing that's happening in college football. I was talking to someone the other day and I said, did you know that UVA had an indoor practice facility before University of Florida? And they were like shocked at me. It's like, yeah, University of Florida didn't have an indoor practice facility when UVA built them. Actually, it was kind of ironic. My first day at UVA, Mike London held a tour of the indoor practice facility when I first got on the UVA beat. When I first got to the University of Florida beat, it was deja vu because Florida was having an unveiling of their indoor practice facility. So, and that was about two, three years apart. 
So UVA was on the right track. It just stopped, uh, which is a shame because they were ahead of an SEC school. Um, now University of Florida tore down, tore down one baseball stadium, built another, and is now building a standalone football facility right next to the indoor where the baseball stadium was. Um, so I, I think if I was an alumni base, I would see the success in other programs. I mean, even Miami was able to get stuff and facilities. I'm a University of Miami grad, so I can talk bad about them. They even got their stuff for facilities. Um, so I think UVA just you know, has to realize this is what college football is. And I'm saying, I'm not saying recruits are automatically going to choose you because you have a new shiny facilities. They, you don't need a bowling alley like Clemson or a nice fancy slide. You just need to show parents that you're investing in their child's future. That's all they need. Uh, University of Florida, before they had that stand alone football facility, they had built an academic athletic department called the Hawkins Center which is basically had an area for the nutritionists to meet with all the athletes and where they can do their study halls and their tutoring, um, where they could just hang out with other fellow athletes. That sold about three or four families of four, four star recruits. I remember they, they just, you know what? That showed my son has a, an ability to come in and have a bright future. He can do homework there if he needs help and get his stuff for nutrition. That was in an academic center that sold four-star recruits' parents. So it's not about the shiny bowling alley or even mm -hmm. just the football weight program. Again, that's, that's what UVA needs to do. So it's on the right track. They've already got it approved. And honestly, that helped Tony Elliott accept the offer mm -hmm. from UVA. So I think you have a guy who realizes what needs to be done. And Carla Williams for sure knows what needs to be done. That's a positive move, and we'll keep an eye on that and watch uh, whether people step up to the plate because that's what it takes. Um, I have one last but semi-not-really-serious question for you, Jack. <laughs> All right, when uh, the, this whole process with hiring Elliot was underway, mm -hmm. are you, and you have to be truthful with me, are you one of those people that had that flight tracker app on your phone to, to uh, keep track of Tony you know, Elliott? You know, I didn't actually have it, and I regret it to this very day <laughs> because that stupid Clemson flight. So I had uh, someone, I had actually Anna Hickey from the Clemson 24-7 site texted <laughs> me. It's like, have you been tracking flights? So I was like, no, I haven't. Why? There's, uh, there's like, check out flight tracker right now. And I cut it up and I look at it. I was like, that can't be coincidence, right? <laughs> no. All right. So then I call someone and I'm like, is Tony Elliott coming for an interview? He's like, well, yeah, Carl Williams interviewing him. I don't know if it's been Zoom or not. And I'm looking at the flight tracker. I was like, is it meant to be like an evening hour? Yeah. Huh. I live about 40 minutes away from the Charlotte airport. The flight was meant to last in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I got to that airport in time because they were about 10 minutes late. And then I was so happy that there was, there was no slow drivers in any of the back roads I took. Um, but that was, I regret it not being one of those people with the flight tracker. I really, really did. And then the only time I did track a flight was the day that he said he was going to be the new UVA coach. Mm -hmm. There was another Clemson flight. And I was like, oh, let me get myself ready to go to the airport. And then obviously the UVA SID informed us that Tony Elliott was not on that flight. I was already on my way to the airport when that happened. But, you know. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, well, <clears throat> I guess you can add it for future things. Uh, but, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Interesting. But I, I, I've, I've used the flight tracker before. I had to, uh, for Dan Mullen's coaching search after McElwain firing, mm-hmm. I drove an hour to do because they went, instead of going to Gainesville Airport, they went all the way to Ocala's airport near Orlando, which really? was about 45 minutes to an hour away from my, where we lived. So I, I, I went down I-75, took the turnpike, went to Ocala, and I was, I was out there waiting for them. Um, you saw the president of University of Florida, the AD, come out. Um, so yeah, I've done a few flight trackers in my past. Were they surprised to see you standing there? <laughs> they were because they, they were meant to come in Gainesville, but their flight was detoured uh-huh. because they knew people would be coming in Gainesville. So they decided to fly to Ocala. Um, but I, I was just looking at the flight tracker and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Advantage to having those apps. Uh, that's one of them right there. Mm-hmm. Jackie, thank you so much for, for joining us and talking to us about Virginia uh, football, basketball. I know a lot of people have been asking us, um, you know, when you're going to be on, when the, uh, you know, it's going to be dropping and everything else. They were very interested in you uh, as our guest and what you had to say. And there's a lot of good stuff here. And I hope they uh, are satisfied with that. If they're not, they should go to Wahoo's. Mm-hmm. 24 7 because that's where you are and that's where they can find out an awful lot of information including which uh i i absolutely love i'm going to bring this back up again the fact that you talk to recruits and get a better feel for what's going on that way i think when you read that you um you definitely get a better feel for where a program is headed uh, just mm-hmm. by, by what you're providing. And, uh, thank you for doing that by the way. So, <laughs> um, Oh goodness. Uh, Jackie friend, truly, uh, thank you for joining us on ACC nation. We appreciate you being here. Thanks Jackie. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me.